1: The Rockpile Report,
2: with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The
3: Bills make me wanna
1: The passion that they have for this city, for this team. I mean, we even talked about the Buffalo Sabres. They, we talked about resources, we talked about stability. They checked every box when I went through it. I had questions going in. You have to. When you're leaving an organization like Carolina, you've been there 19 years, something has to blow you away to leave. And this was a different interview. And it just, uh, Terry and Kim, we're going to have every resource we need to turn this thing around and build a a contender here. And the goal is sustained success.
4: Oh, welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Krueger. And tonight in studio, we have a very special guest,
2: Nate Geary. It's because North Collins was, you know, barely a school host of breakfast with the bills you're in big trouble though pal i eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast on wgr sports radio
3: 550
1: you eat pieces of
2: shit
3: for breakfast no we
4: got nate geary in the house everybody how you doing nate
3: I'm doing great because every time I'm on your guys' podcast, I get a better intro than I technically give myself uh, (laughs) on my own damn radio show,
4: so I (laughs) thoroughly enjoy it. The whole theme was breakfast. (laughs) Oh, man, I'll tell you. You can thank Chris for that. He puts a lot of effort into it. Now, folks, that audio you just heard actually came from Brandon Bean, the new Bills GM. Now, Nate, we've got you here Mm. on the show with us tonight. For those of you, we have a lot of listeners who aren't from here, you know, aren't local. You know, okay. we've got a lot of out-of-towners. Some from Uganda, guys, Some mm. guys from Uganda, from across the pond, over in England. <laughs> just a uh, real quick Sweden. drive. So, just to kind of familiarize these people with who you yeah. are. First and foremost, you work for WGR 550. Mm. You are an on-air personality. You have shows that you, you, know, you sit in on mm-hmm. or sometimes that you run yourself. I guess you've we've been talking recently you've taken on some new responsibilities so what is it that that you're doing right now for WGR
3: so uh now for the flagship station of the Bills and Sabres um basically uh I've sort of created my niche in the you know football the NFL the Buffalo Bills um that's kind of my niche there at WGR you know I can I can do it all I can talk about the other sports but you know it's just kind of my personal preferences football and the Bills uh you know, I grew up a season-taker holder myself. I grew up about, mm, I don't know, maybe half a mile mile down the street from the stadium. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm real local in terms of uh, how close in proximity I live to the stadium. But um, now, basically, you know, as a 25-year-old, uh, I would call myself a radio entrepreneur. Is that, <laughs> I guess I would call I'll myself that. that. Um, now that I'm... Uh, I'm not necessarily there full time, but I've sort of taken over full time, um, you know, host duties. Um, so I've really kind of moved away from the production portion of uh, radio and kind of really focusing in on the hosting. And this year, um, you know, we'll be um, still kind of waiting to see what uh, happens with my role. But uh, last year, my role was on the uh, pregame show, as mentioned, the Breakfast with the Bills show and then uh, the halftime show um, with um, Sal and I, uh, me interviewing Sal essentially from the website, from the uh from the stadium, whether it's home or away. And then the uh, post-game show, the, mm-hmm. um, oh, we call it, the overtime show, which oh, is the, the post. The post-game show. The post-game show. Game huh? show. And, and last year, I got my first real taste of real post-game, because technically, my post-game show follows Chopin and Bulldog, um, yep. at usually about an hour and a half after uh, the end of the game. Last year, however, I, uh, I got my first real chance to host the actual network post-game, so the Buffalo Bills Radio Network post-game yep. show, um, on the Thursday night game, week two, against Ooh. the Jets. Um
4: how did that it, how did
3: that go? It was difficult because there was sort of a a rush of emotion following that game, you oh, know, yeah. just just them losing that game and, and no reason to lose that game to Ryan Fitzpatrick and
4: I'll I'll tell you this I know for a fact that I, I'm guilty mm. of being the guy who has one too many Chardonnays mm. during the course of a during the course of a Bills game, and then calls the radio station yep. and just kicks the teeth and whoever picks
3: up the phone. I'll tell you head. though, I, for that really being my first time running that show, I was I was really nervous to start. You know, I, there was that there was that sort of like um, bean in your throat kind of thing. Yep. Where you're like, uh, you know, you're you're trying to um, not sound like a nervous. You know, amateur when you're yep. on the radio. And for me, that game, uh, it, it quickly. <laughs> that
4: the was the Widowmaker. You right, got thrown and, into the fire.
3: Right, absolutely. And, you know, on any show, you kind of want that form, the structure of your of your radio show. And I had felt it kind of getting away from me, the structure of the show. and And what I ended up doing is just kind of you know, looking, thinking to myself, I, I, I'm thinking, what do people want to hear right now? Mm-hmm. People don't want to hear, um, necessarily negativity. They don't want to hear yeah. why they suck. They want to hear a little bit of emotion. They want yep. to hear what they want to hear somebody on the radio, say what they're thinking on their drive home. Yep. So, um, that's kind of like where I went with it. And, um, you know so it was one of out for you. it is a it was a rant uh, probably my, my 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 most famous rant um, and uh, yeah well after sure that the first uh, of many I, it was and then they you know they told me reel it back there Nate
4: remember who you work for and i said yeah. okay will do <laughs> so now outside of the WGR mm-hmm. radio station where you work you also do some work for cover1.net that's mm-hmm. a pro, that, now a lot of our listeners are very familiar with their material you've done a lot of pre-draft stuff with them And that's actually part of the reason Nate's here tonight is to kind of work with us as far as we talk about the draft and everything else. You know, there was a specialty piece he did that we're going to touch on in a little bit as we kind of work our way through draft recap for the Buffalo Bills. But as we do every week, we're going to kick things off with this week's Bills news update. (music) First off, Jalen Robinette signs with the Buffalo Bills for a rookie tryout. Now, I know I wouldn't be shocked out there if most of you don't recognize the name of the player. Because he's not a household name by any stretch. He was a wide receiver for Air Force University in college. And given the triple option kind Mm -hmm. of wonky offense that they ran there, he didn't get a whole lot of national recognition as a wide receiver. Except for like during the draft process. Well, during the draft process, Mm -hmm. because that's when statistics come into play. And that's when you look at someone's physical, you know, you look at them, just their physical makeup and then what they've done statistically. He's six. He's a a wide receiver who's six foot three, 220 pounds. And even though he ran a slow 40 time, I mean, he ran a four six, which is a wide receiver. I mean, I get it. He's a big wide receiver. So you don't you don't think he's going to run a four four. Right. But he led the nation. In 2016 for collegiate football with 27.4 yards per catch. He was all first team Mountain West Conference. And he's one of those wide receivers who, you know, he's a guy that they talked about in the same vein that they talked about. um, What was the wide receiver? James Hardy. No, the wide receiver that got drafted in the second round by Stephen uh, Hill. No. yeah, Stephen Hill from Georgia Tech from Georgia Tech
3: on the second try. That so was all a guess. So now this is a
4: now this is a street free agent, a guy who kind of walked in here undrafted. But now here's the reason why, and this is what makes it so interesting: him being brought in. the th- The reason I was is kind of intrigued me is that he's kind of a victim of a weird set of circumstances. They're fucking with him. Last year, there was a bill passed. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if any of you out there who are collegiate football fans remember Navy. Navy's team was very good. They were ranked at one point.
3: Don't tell me the quarterback's name. Uh, Reynolds.
4: Keenan Reynolds. Keenan Reynolds. Keenan Reynolds was drafted in the sixth round because a bill was passed basically stating that, look, our athletes who come here and play, some of them may be good enough to play in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case and if they're offered a contract by a, a pro sports team... That could help our collegiate recruiting efforts. Absolutely. As far as hey, Mm -hmm. here's athletes. Worst
3: case scenario, you could
4: right. Worst case scenario, you don't get offered a pro contract. Mm -hmm. Now you you have a job. Now you've attended it. You know you have a Mm -hmm. job, and you're going to be in the military for at least two years after you graduate. So they they saw it as a recruiting opportunity. So they signed this bill that allowed Keenan Reynolds to be drafted and to forego his military duties. For those two years afterwards, he basically gets put on a reserve status. He will serve at some point, mm-hmm. just not right now. Now, last year the bill got signed. Well, this year they revoked it the day Makes a lot Trump, the day of the draft. So here's all these teams who have their draft boards drawn up, and I'm sure Robinette's name on a lot of them came up somewhere, the sixth, seventh round. Hey, here's a guy. If he's there late, he's a you know he he's a we'll take a flyer on him. We'll see if he's worth that draft mm-hmm. pick. Instead, he went undrafted because the news broke the day and of the it draft. Hurt and right. teams didn't know what to do, so they didn't do anything. No one drafted him. Now, the bill is under review, so it may still be possible for Robinette to play this year. You know, It still hasn't come out whether or not it's going to be repealed or whether it's going to be changed. I just think that it's, it's interesting to see not only the player because of the skill set he brings to the right. bills, but also it's a good storyline to keep an eye on when it comes to collegiate recruiting. When you think about how is that going to hurt navy, army, the air force? I don't know uh, that's going to really hamstring their abilities to put together decent sports teams or recruit athletes who maybe want to join the air force, maybe mm-hmm. want to join the navy. You know, they want to go to the naval academy, they know they have the grades to get in, they're the type of athlete that they would love to have, but because they have that pro talent, they actually skip out on being part of the armed services altogether because they think they have a shot at going pro. I'll
3: tell you, um, you know, coming from that system, I, you know, I grew up playing in the triple option at, mm-hmm. uh, at frontier. Um, and you know, a lot of guys, unfortunately in that system can sort of get lost in translation because mm-hmm. they're playing in an offensive scheme that doesn't necessarily highlight the best parts of their game. And in his case, in Robinette's case, you have a guy who's got the size and skill to be an NFL receiver. Now, I mean, when you look at some of these guys in the league that are over 6'3", none of them are running four fours. It's just, it's at at that size and and the strides that you're taking and the, it's just, it's very difficult to be running a a sub 4'4", sub 4'5", time when you're that size. However, um, you're talking about a guy with great, as you said, you know, yards per catch averages, but um, someone that I'm certainly interested in now, I I mean, you bring this up, I look at, and today, for instance, uh, in in Joe Biscaglia from, from WKBW, the Um, he's the sports director over there. Now he posted an article of his, you know, way too early 53 man roster update and kind of who was going to make the team, who's going to get caught at each position. And one of the, you know, positions that he really kind of got into was the wide receiver position. And, you know, you, you talk about a guy like Robinette, but then you talk about a guy like Colby Listenby, Mm -hmm. um, guys who haven't necessarily, who have been on the roster. Um, Des Lewis. Guys who have been in the roster for a few years now, or in Listen B's case, at least a year, wasn't able to play because due to injury. Mm-hmm. The wide receiver position, to me, is pretty deep, even though, I mean, going into this draft, we're like, oh, man, we really need a receiver. Are we going to take one in the first round? And then all of a sudden there's a, you know, a, a run of three receivers in the top nine picks who nobody saw coming and then you're like, okay, well, maybe we really need to add to this receiver position. But you get Zay Jones, and now you're looking at the receiver position as maybe a a, a position of depth strength, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I, I no, think I, we looked
2: at that last year with mm-hmm, linebackers, and mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. got Braglan and Brown and Lorax, right? And last year they were they were fantastic. Yeah. yeah,
4: I I honestly I look at this guy and I look at our depth chart and I say I, there there hasn't been any news as to whether or not he's been officially signed yet. But the thing I like about him is that. He brings something that no one else on our roster has right now. Size and the ability to just bang with cornerbacks down the field. I mean, he's so big. And I went back and watched a lot of his, a lot of his highlights and a lot of his film. And you see him even when he's not making completions. He, there's not a cornerback out there who can really shove him around. Right. Because he's so big. And he's fast he's not he's never gonna blow anyone away with his speed, but he's fast enough to get down the field. And if if you think that you're gonna try to jockey with him for position, he's gonna out jump you. He's gonna catch balls outside of his frame. He's got a big catch radius. That's a so guy in mm, a West catch Coast. Catch radius offense is a thing
3: that, that you gotta really pay attention to when you're not even talking about the West Coast offense, but yep. just Tyrod Taylor in general. Well, yeah. And that's a guy who doesn't he's necessarily gonna put it
4: around you. Correct. But if that's a wide receiver who hey, even when if you put a five foot eleven corner on him He's already open mm-hmm. like it's gonna be hard for that cornerback to even fight to get to the ball so as long as it's somewhat accurate you could over a guy like Des Lewis I would take this kid all day long mm-hmm. and uh, then, I agree with that completely
3: by the way uh, before we really hop into the front office situation here mm-hmm. uh, I don't really get to plug products on, on my show it's it's, a, it's in my contract I'm not allowed to plug products. Mm-hmm. This moose head lager
4: is divine. <laughs> it's, uh, Nate we, here is getting we, his first we, taste of moose head lager, folks. We like it. It
3: is smooth yet refreshing, uh, especially on this warm uh, spring like day. It. And as, and as um, Nate
4: can attest to, r- behind us as we're recording. is a wall of moose head. A wall of moose. One, two, three,
2: four, five, six, seven, eight.
4: 16 Eight. 17
3: 18 Six, 16 something of legends but I'll tell you what usually like my my beer of choice is you know your typical yep. blue light I'm just I'm a, I'm a pretty simple buffalonian but at mm-hmm. the same time this moose head is reminds me a lot of um rolling rock keg beer yes it reminds oh. me of a rolling rock keg beer and I've never really felt more at home than I do right now <laughs> well, so I hey just cheers to thanks for joining out. us uh, cheers to that
4: so up next, one of the things that came across the news today that, again, it's not something that directly impacts the Bills. You know, That's not what peak might—well, I guess it is because it ties into the Bills, in my mind. The NFL—now, now, you know, NFL owners are meeting next Monday in Chicago, mm-hmm. and rule changes are always on the docket when it comes to this type of stuff. One of these changes might mean a lot to the Buffalo Bills in 2017 and beyond. It's been floated that the owners are expected to pass a change to the return from IR designation, which I love. Now, yeah. in the past, you once you were on IR, you were there forever. The last two seasons, they've allowed you to bring one player back per season, and this year they didn't make you. The, you know, the first year you had to designate them right out of the gate. Now they kind of gave you an option that you could wait until eight weeks and then decide if you want. Which is to essentially an extended PUP list. Exactly, you're just extending the pup list. Well, now they're talking about bringing back two players in the same fashion. You don't have to declare who just eight weeks. And if they can't come back at eight weeks, then they stay on the IR. But if they can, you can bring them back. Now, I think about that. And then what I think back to is if you guys remember, the Bills were were in the top five last season for man games lost due to the IR designation and injury most of that revolved around the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. So you think about it, when we were going into games, critical games, the Steelers game, the Miami Dolphins game. Oakland. Oakland. Mm-hmm. And you're put, you're trotting out wide receivers like Des Lewis, who really just hasn't been able to do anything on an NFL field. He just can't. I mean, during the preseason, he looks all right, but he, he can't show up on game day. Wouldn't it have been nice to be able to bring back a guy like Greg Salas? Mm-hmm. To have just a guy, somebody with the NFL experience who, right. who's proven he can catch a ball or two. So I, I mean, I not. Ugh, I mean, because before Sammy came back, we had nothing. Yeah. I I I will applaud this change <laughs> if it is in fact made. Given that we are one of the more injury ravaged teams in the for NFL, whatever reason, right? Year after year after year, I'll take any help I can get on that front. And I mean. Just we have a banged-up team usually by about week seven or eight, right? Usually we're already It seems t-
3: like every year, yeah.
4: Every year we're having that conversation. Hopefully, we're, I mean, we're kind of banking on that to change with the coaching staff change, with mm-hmm. the change in personnel, the medical staff changes, and things like that. But ultimately, the fact that we could bring another guy back, not right. just one, but two, that you can target who maybe... or. One of my my nightmare scenario is that Sammy Watkins gets hurt again in training camp mm-hmm. or gets hurt again in the preseason, re whatever this foot thing is. And in that case, you have to put him on the IR, and you can bring him back when he's ready. But it mandates the first eight weeks. Well, now you've already given up that designation. Right. It can't be you. So if there's a fluke injury week two to a player who probably needs seven weeks, wouldn't you want him back at some point that year?
3: Yeah, and I mean – I guess for me the rule is going to really go into guys, um, and I mean, this certainly this rule would have helped the Bills last year. There's not a question in my mind, but. Um, the idea that you can get one guy right now, I think, to help. I mean, Shaq Lawson, I believe, that was that guy last mm-hmm. year. Um, but you looked at it; there was, you know, rumors that Reggie Ragland would have been available, but clearly, you know, as he moves into camp now, he's yeah. still kind of feeling the ill effects um, from that knee injury that he had um, in the in training camp last year. But I, either way, you spin it, I think it's a good rule for the league. I, I think that the league needs to continue looking at different ways um, to make players available. Um, On the field Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day The product is about the players And that's one of my main focuses About this whole Josh Gordon situation About his suspension Is you know This is one of the Premier wide receivers One of the premier la- uh, Players in the league And unfortunately You have a league That's keeping him Out of the lineup On a week to week basis and uh, And a year to year At this point basis And who do you want to see? You want to see the league's best players and Mm -hmm. you need to figure out a way to make sure that if a guy is able to come back and play in week 12, after hurting himself in week one, that each team has the opportunity to bring that guy back, especially if he's a key contributor.
4: I mean, you want to bring up Josh Gordon. Here's, here's a thing I don't understand. You're talking about a guy who's been in trouble for smoking pot. Mm-hmm. Now I understand that marijuana, by de- by definition of the league rules, is a prohibited substance. You're not allowed to do it. And I also understand the fact that you know, like I I work for a manufacturing company, and because I work for a manufacturing company, they drug test, and marijuana is on the list of substances you're not allowed to have. So there could mm-hmm. be you know, you're talking about guys who work in a factory.
2: Nate, you know where I, you know where I work. In a manufacturing place, you except
3: we don't drug test. Wow, so that's, that's the world would, I'm trying to would, live in. Both of my jobs don't drug test, but you could test me anytime. time, and you'll be I clean. Would, I would, I've got, I've got pee somewhere that'll be clean.
4: <laughs> so what I know is that I look at this and I say, okay, my my company has the right to say to me, hey, even if I don't have a good reason, it doesn't matter that you're not manning machinery. It doesn't matter that you're not down there working in the factory. Right. We don't want you. We don't want you doing this. Yeah. As someone who's working for our company, I have to. I don't. I can understand. They're not it. forcing yeah. me to work there. Therefore, I'm. You know what I mean? I can't. I shouldn't assume that they would want this thing going on in their building. And if that's the rule, that's the rule. But one of the things I don't understand is when you see how the NFL applies the suspension stuff. When it comes down to stuff <laughs> like, um, let's talk about Alden Smith. Alvin <laughs> Smith has been arrested for bringing a gun into an airport, getting into a fight yeah. with security, threatening to blow things up, um, shooting an AK-47 at a party at his no, no, house.
3: No. Oh, I thought that was Jet Kelly.
4: <laughs> shooting an AK-47 <laughs> at a party at his house. He was stabbed yeah. in that incident. Mm. Um, just a number of infractions that have led to him being suspended. And yet there's talk of him being reinstated. Yeah. So what, what, if, if you're talking about reinstating this guy who clearly makes poor decisions, right. but you won't reinstate a guy who, who is
3: trying, in theory, trying to rehabilitate and be a yeah. player that can abide by the rules of the league. Here's where I think just a, a blanket statement I agree that there is a time and place and, and let's let's just get this out of the way now Josh Gordon isn't using marijuana for medicinal uses he's just no. not no. now do I necessarily still think that there is a time and place I think there's a time and place for everything however um, you know I think that if I'm a player and I'm a recreational user of marijuana that my biggest gripe is no employer is going to allow you to smoke on around the workplace. It's just, that's the way it happens. It's just mm-hmm. not acceptable. And I, and I'm a firm believer of that as I wouldn't expect my employer to allow me to come and light up it at their place of business. It's just, that's not what you would do. Yeah. However, when you're talking about the months of January until July, I don't care what my player is doing as long as he's staying out of trouble. And if it's legal in his state, if it's legal in his county, if it's legal in whatever it is, he should be allowed to do whatever he, lo- he wants as long as he's staying out of the media spotlight, out of a jail cell, doesn't matter what he does. However, when you come to camp in July as a team, I, I-, I think this is sort of. What it needs to be is it needs to be a team policy, sort of like the government has decided for the most part to leave us to the states. I think it needs to be a team policy that when you come through my doors on July 7th for OTAs and you're here for training camp and you here for the regular season, that shits out the window. Mm-hmm. But when you're outside the realms of this organization, this structure, what you do is your own prerogative. You're, a, you're an adult. You're a male. You're a male adult. Do what you want. But stay out of trouble. I don't care what you do, but stay out of trouble. And as long as this isn't affecting your on-field play, it's not... Putting, it's not you're not missing time mm-hmm. due to being arrested for possession of marijuana or something along those lines. And just so you know, it's very difficult to be arrested well, for possession of marijuana unless you have it in your vehicle while you're driving and you have like over an ounce of it. So
4: like where this ties back into the bills for me is I look at a situation like Sean. Tra- I look at Sean Trale. I look right. at Sean Chantrell Henderson. Totally different though. Here is no, but uh, but, but the league doesn't think so. Right. And this is where I have a problem with where all this is headed. I understand that you don't want people to abuse it, so you say, okay, we're just going to iron fist, iron ironclad policy, no, no marijuana. Here is a guy who, and we did a big report on it last year, we did a big thing about how, you know, I kind of broke down, so I actually went in and found a lot of medical research that basically spoke to the fact that Th- THC really does help the recovery process. It's one of the anyone, only things for one of, for anyone suffering from IBS related illnesses. It's one of the only like natural disease.
3: remedies that is not only proven to work, is the cheapest and also has no
4: significance side, side effects or long term effects. And so when I look at that and I say, okay, so you're suspending this guy for mm-hmm. recreational use. Okay, I understand why. Right. You I can would get do on that. your bandwagon about that. But right. then when you tell me here's a guy who's doing it because his doctors have told him mm-hmm. it's in the best interest of his long term health that he do it. You can't tell me then in the same breath that you care about player safety because, because here's a guy who's been and and it's it's as simple as hey, do you have a doctor somewhere? And I understand there are the, the counterpoint to that is well, they could pay a doctor. To of course, them. of course they could, but you can't exclude people who are doing this for their health. Yeah, just because there's people out there who would abuse it.
3: Last last statement on this is what I'd like, and and what I'd like for a lot of things is just a lot of common sense ruling. Um, when you look at the situation, I'd like the league, I'd like the front offices, I'd like the teams, I'd like the medical staffs, I'd like the training staffs to acknowledge the fact that opiates are indeed addictive and super dangerous for mm-hmm. if you overuse or misuse those prescription pain medications. There has really been no admittance to this at this point. No. Where, listen, we understand this is an issue. We shouldn't be feeding our players on average. The average NFL player will take 100 100- Prescription pain pills over the course of a season, the average NFL player. So when you do, th- when you're putting that number in there, and when you're talking about such a terrible, not only opiate epidemic, but we're talking about a heroin epidemic, just torching our population. It- shouldn't there be some common sense thinking of? hey, how can we help our players in this league who are suffering from chronic pain, who are suffering from debilitating injuries that have been sort of over the course of your career? Like, that's what happens Mm -hmm. over the course of a career. You have a lot of injuries. I think... Being able to be open-minded now that you're in 2017, we're not in 1970 anymore. We know that, that, that marijuana doesn't make you want to kill your roommate or <laughs> does it make you want to... Like the movie to,
4: Reefer Madness.
3: Right, doesn't want to make you run around naked. The guy smokes a joint you know, and then gets his car a, a machete, the, right. Like the guy smokes happens. a
4: joint in a closet and Reefer Madness. It was a film from the 1970s. Oh, I remember it. He takes a couple puffs. They made us watch it in health class. Mm-hmm. He takes a couple puffs off a joint. Then he gets in his car, mows down a bunch of people, goes home, gets into a fight with all of his friends, and shoots his girlfriend. Right. It di- that
3: that stuff doesn't happen. So it just it's keeping an open mind, but but realizing that as a as a league, you owe it to your players because I mean, look at this concussion lawsuit. Look yep. at these other lawsuits that are coming on league. This is ultimately going to cost the league significant amount of money. It's even in
4: their best fight, interest. Even just to fight right. these lawsuits, right. It's going to cost them millions. They should just do what, like you said, common sense.
3: Common sense. It's like gun laws. It's like anything else. Have common. sense sense to be able to bring ideas to the table and not immediately shoot them down because you're, you know, morally against something. Drew, this sounds like it's a uh topic for a future a rock pile report a full Infe- rock pile
4: report investigates Ooh, oh the rock wow. pile report investigates we haven't done one of those Investigatory in investigative journalism oh yes. fa- that was my favorite kind in school that was that was probably mm-hmm. my f- some of my favorite courses i took july is going to be boring so we should plan that it sure well, is july is going to be boring but i'll tell you what hasn't been boring the last couple weeks around right. one bill's drive because there's been a lot of fresh faces now the front office for the Buffalo Bills is finally coming into focus as they introduce Brandon Bean, Joe Schoen, and Brian Ganey. I believe it's Joe Shane. It is Joe pronounced Shane. 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 It's like Sheamus. I've been calling him Schoen for weeks That's now. Fine. This is hilarious. That's fine. So, I, I mean, first and foremost, let's let, let's get together, you, Chris, and I, Nate, and let's talk about this. Now, first and foremost, the tail of the tape on GM Brandon Bean. 19 years of NFL experience with the Carolina Panthers. He started out as an intern, Mm -hmm. then moved his way up into football operations, became the director of football operations, then found his way to interim GM and then assistant GM of the team all over the course of his 19 years with one franchise. I mean, the guy is the definition of a grinder. He has a vast knowledge and experience base, Covers a whole, just a gamut of topics. You're talking about film and player evaluations, mm-hmm. contract negotiation, pro and collegiate scouting. He's, he's been involved in every single one of these processes in some capacity for the Carolina Panthers. And he's obviously familiar with Sean McDermott. Right. I mean, there's some familiarity there. Now, Bean was introduced to the local media last week. And that's where we got to hear our new GM speak for the first time. And, I mean, there wasn't a lot in the way of groundbreaking commentary. I, it's, of course not. A, no. lot of it, a lot of that stuff, when you hear those press conferences, I mean, short of the Doug Whaley press conference. I'll tell you what, sexy's out the window. Rex is gone. There, no, there is yeah. no more sexy. Bland press yeah. conferences are pretty much the norm throughout the NFL. But there were a few things that stuck out to me. Now, from our show's intro, you can hear the way that Bean talked about his meeting with ownership. It, it almost sounds to me like the... Interview that they had that the Pagulas had with Brandon mm-hmm. Bean was more about selling him on the caveats of our organization and their commitment to building a winning team than it was simply just hey here's a guy who wants a job we're gonna bring him in and vet his qualifications.
2: I think it goes to the resources that probably. Pagula can offer. Mm-hmm. So you, Pagula's that's probably his number one sell with not only with the Bills but with the Sabers is You're look at the richest owner in Yeah, I have money.
3: I will spend it. Right. And then people are like, "Well, that sounds like good resources." Now, I'll- of course, we're talking about two different organizations, but it's they're they're both, you know, pertinent to what we're talking about. And mm-hmm. I think maybe and to speak a little bit about what you are talking about it, is what exactly needed to be sold in a meeting with a yep. guy like Brandon Mean who is leaving a pretty prestigious
4: organization who he essentially was told you're the GM and waiting. Here. You are the GM waiting right. in the wings, and he gave that up because he, he could have waited. Now the thing with the Carolina, who beaters, knows how long you would have waited? D- but, Dave, Dave Gettleman is sixty-six years old, which he's pretty old in terms of right. The, now that's the GM for the Carolina Panthers. Now if you're Panthers.
3: sixty-six years old and you're listening to the podcast, of course you
4: are a young man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you worry, but. At 66, Dave Gettleman was just handed the job a couple yeah. of years ago. He's he just he's fought his whole career to get that job. He's not going to retire anytime soon. No. So if you are Brandon Bean, you come into the, you see that you wait for an opportunity. You know that, hey, if he does retire, great. But it's going to take me a while to get that job that I've been grinding for my mm-hmm. whole life. So but to your point. You know, it wasn't, he he was waiting in the wings. He was basically told, listen, you're going to be the guy if you just stick this out for long Mm -hmm. enough. I I think that that kind of, the, the fact that he was willing to come here shows that there's a level of excitement from people when they meet the Pagoulas and what the Pagoulas are willing to offer. As far as ownership, I own a team. You know, I've seen a lot of people beat them up on social media or Mm -hmm, complain about, oh, they're not active enough. Or Pagula didn't apologize to us after this, that, the other thing. Pagula doesn't talk enough to the media. Mm -hmm. He has no reason to. But don't ever mistake the fact that even though he doesn't do those things, he doesn't want to win. Or doesn't care. He doesn't care. Right. Because it's... That couldn't be farther from the truth.
3: And you know when you look at it too, and, and how this has sort of worked out for them. I mean, you get Gain, you get Sh- you get Shane, and you, you get some of these guys that really had been in consideration for a lot of general manager jobs across the league, including Brian Gain being brought in here to Buffalo to interview for their general manager job. So if you think about it, let's say on let's say during this process they interviewed five people, they landed two of them in their front office one being the, their choice at general manager and the other guy in Brian Gain who's going to be running the he's going to be the VP of player personnel if I'm if I'm not mistaken so you're talking about two guys who were easily up for or considered to be up and coming general manager candidates in this league you've now Peg them for significant roles in your front office. And then you talk about a guy like Joe Shane, who is coming from the Dolphins organization, who's a young man, who's a 37-year-old guy. What I like about this and what I like about what they've done in the front office is not only have gotten young, fresh minds, but they've gotten guys that are all thinking progressively. They're all forward thinkers, they're not your average, oh, uh, I'm your, you know, Bill Polian disciple. I'm not a Bill Parcells disciple. I'm not one of these old-time football people who, you know, you have a line of coaches and front office personnel who are constantly thinking about the same way to win that you were winning in 1970. Mm-hmm. I want a guy who realizes the importance of draft value in 2017, not yep. a guy who thinks ground and pound is terrific and you need three running backs to do the job. I need a guy that realizes, okay, well, this is a quarterback-driven league. I need to have a top 10, a top 7 quarterback if I'm going to be a consistent competitor in this league. I also need a team and I need I need a style of play mm-hmm. that is going to reflect the the times and knowing that you're facing teams who are for the most part passing 40 times a game.
4: I mean, I'll be honest when they hired when they hired Bean, okay. I assumed that they would be in a hurry to start fleshing out the rest of the front office. I, I you assume any you can assume that. Now, typically, when you're in a hurry to accomplish anything, it's never run, done well. You right? it's never done well. And you run the risk, especially in this type of stuff, of just taking the first candidate who makes themselves available to you and not necessarily the best candidate. So you can imagine how shocked I was to see that they made solid hires at both not only GM, Mm -hmm. but also seemingly GM, but also assistant GM and
3: VP of player personnel. And they just hired, who was the gentleman they hired today? Oh, Um, today they hired a new... um, Somebody is their college scouting um, but another really well-respected guy who's put in a lot of years in the league and and I th- and who won the 2014 Scout of the Year Award that was handed out by the league for the NFC. So you're talking about a guy who has experience but is successful in his experience. And I yep. think that's key because, you know, you can apply for the job and, and been working in sales for 15 years. If you're not a good salesman and you work for 15 years, how valuable is that experience? Well, it's exactly. not valuable. You want guys who have been successful, have put together teams, and, and to, to your point about Brandon Bean, a guy who's had his hand in almost every aspect of what you'd want your general manager, or someone who's running the football operations por- portion of your organization. You want someone who has knowledge of each of those departments. And when I think when you're talking about Doug Whaley, you know the former GM in this position, he was strictly a pro scout, and I think it ultimately hurt hurt his ability to manage on a on, on a personal level yep. to say, listen, this is how things are run. Um, I don't think he was ever really able to garner the respect of any of the head two head coaches that. that that you know were in this organization under his tutelage, and I think ultimately what you wanted to do is have your coach and GM working in lockstep, and the only way to do that is to bring in a guy who's worked well with him in the past. There
2: was one thing gathering audio on Bean.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He was on John Difficult. Murphy. He was on John Murphy today, right? No, uh, the day of his press conference. Okay, there was one thing that he said in the in the type of player that. He wants
1: well you know we want players with character that are tough smart obviously they have to have athletic ability the things you see on tape but uh, we want guys with integrity that want to work hard and I tell you the one thing that I really look for in the college guys coming out who is ultra competitive uh, what players you know I asked my scouts this year at the very end right before draft tell me three guys in your area that are So ultra-competitive, they'll chew glass. They'll eat nails for their teammates, for their coaches. And it's funny to hear the different guys that come up, but those are the guys that I want, and I, I know Sean sees it the same way.
2: Now, our listeners know that they have heard something like that before.
4: I will chew the neck off this fucking bottle. Drew also <laughs> eats glass, <laughs> so there's a good
3: opportunity for you in this organization. Drew, apparently, is what he's to apparently,
4: if like, I just keep grinding, keep trying to bite the <laughs> necks off beer bottles out of frustration. <laughs> so, <laughs> Chris, but no, and that's a, but that's an important point. Right. To, <clears throat> I think that what they, what they're building here is you're starting to see this whole thing take shape. And you're you're thinking to yourself, okay, what kind of front, you know, what kind of team is this group going to try to build? Right. Well, you heard it right there. They don't want flash. They want substance. Right. They don't want the big name. They want a guy who's willing to come in and do anything you ask him to do, and he'll he'll go to war for you. And you need that. You need that to win at an NFL level. Look at what Bill Belichick does. And I I I'm not for everyone out there who's about to yell at me for this. I'm not trying to compare McDermott to Belichick. What I'm saying is there's a reason that those teams win the way that they do, and it's because he has players who will go to the mat for him because they know that there's consequences if they don't, but also because they fill their roster with guys who play with a chip on their shoulder at every position.
3: I also think what's important is that trust that their way, that their methodology is going to lead to success. And when you talk about guys like Bill Belichick, Mike McCarthy – Um, Some of these head coaches that have a lot of experience in in winning in this league, it's those guys are easier to find when you know that your model or your methodology works. Yep. It's difficult to have guys buy in for a first-time head coach, which I think is one of the more is one of the reasons why it's been so difficult for the Bills over recent history is because they just don't have the continuity that suggests that, hey, listen, I'm bringing you into this organization, and we have a specific role that we have in mind for you to fill. Well, why is that player supposed to respect anything that you're supposed to say? You haven't done anything in this league to show, listen, I'm asking you to do something because I know that if you do it, we're going to be successful. And I think that's something important when you're talking about bringing in guys who are coming from successful organizations. You know, Brandon Beam, these guys that are coming from Carolina, who was just recently in the Super Bowl, who... Got to the bottom of the draft. Who had the number one overall pick and selected Cam Newton? And now you have the f- one of the faces of the league. This isn't just your franchise that he's a face of. He's a face of the league, and mm-hmm. and I think that's important that not only you have a proven track record of choosing players that ultimately go on to be super successful and be you know figureheads of the NFL, but that your methodology, that your your plan, your track, your your plan of attack is a successful one and mm-hmm. and when you can say listen if you do it the way i'm asking you to do it you know we're gonna win this many games and i'm gonna tell you why because i did it last year i did it three years ago i just need guys in this to do what i need them to ask uh, what i'm asking them to do and, and i think that proven track record of winning in, in this league it means more than a guy that's a, a coach that's making you know 15 million or that's that's a, a a big name, a Nick Saban mm-hmm. or something. You know what I'm saying? Guys don't necessarily respect a name anymore.
4: They respect winning. No, and that's and that's to your point. It's the NFL is basically the inverse of college football. College football, if you win, that's what it takes. It's 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 hard in college because if you're a winning team like Alabama, you know I'm a huge Alabama fan. Mm-hmm. If you are a fan, if you're a fan of the Crimson Tide you turn around and you say okay you know here my, I know my team's going to be good well you know why they're going to be good because they're putting out the most talented roster every year yep. why because they can recruit whoever they want G- guys guys would rather play for a team like that because they know they're going to get exposure they know they're going to win games in the NFL it's hard because you have to convince these guys to buy in mm-hmm. there's no more incentive they're getting paid now so now you have to find something in them personally. You have to get them to buy into who you are and what you're about and what your mission is in order to get them to perform. And it's, it's harder to do that. I mean, that's why Nick Saban couldn't cut it in the NFL. He couldn't find a way to motivate guys who were getting paid. He just couldn't do it. So he went back to college, continued being a great head coach. Now, you look at the NFL, it's about winning. Like you said, if I if I'm mm-hmm. a player, I want to know. I don't care. You know, the money obviously is a big part of it, but what are you going to do to help me win? Because that's ultimately what matters to most guys, anyway. Now, this uh, this is going to be on McDermott, you know. But it seems like they're putting the right pieces in place in the front office to help get McDermott what he needs on the field in order to start trying to make that point.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So then, moving on here. The other interesting thing that I took away from his press conference were Bean's comments on Jim Overdorf, who was not terminated when Doug Whaley was fired a few weeks ago. I mean, this is what he had to say:
1: "I'm coming in eyes wide open with with everybody, so I don't. Uh, I shouldn't be about Jim." Uh, I've known Jim for a long time, have a lot of respect for him, great man. I've uh, never got to work with Jim. So I'm going to jump in. I uh, just spoke to Jim a few minutes ago and uh, said a hello and look forward to getting to know his process, how he does things. I'm going to kind of influence him with how I do things, and, and we'll see how this works and, and go from there.
4: Now that audio comes you from buffalobills.com. Now, I've been one of the biggest proponents of firing this guy. I mean, we've got a lot of bad contracts in our books. As is by this
3: Monus or uh, Overdorf? Overdorf. Okay. Monus is already fired. Okay. As evidence of the
4: fact that we're a team with salary cap problems that mm-hmm. doesn't have a highly paid franchise quarterback anywhere on our roster. This, was, this isn't supposed a, to be his area of responsibility. And I think it's something that he deserves to lose his job over. But Bean, by his own admission, has decided to be pragmatic about this. He's kind of treated the situation as a clean slate, quote-unquote, his desire to at least attempt to work with Overdorf i think kind of speaks to the fact that he's not a reactionary and instead he's he's taking yeah. a wait and see approach with him
2: well, you heard he, it you heard it in his thing he's like i'm going to show him you know how i do things yep. which is the way we're going to do
4: things he wants and to if see he if doesn't he can, like it
2: yeah. you know get bent overdorf
4: <laughs> he wants to see if he can help him salvage his career i mean Nate, what do you think about that you know
3: it's one of those things, too, and I, and I think the point you just made is maybe one that's not made enough, is the salary cap purgatory that this team has put itself into, um, specifically Doug Whaley, um, should concern you because, as you just mentioned, you're not paying a franchise quarterback. These teams that are paying a quarterback 16 17 18 to $20 million a year, those are the teams that have an excuse to have salary cap issues. When you're talking about a team that right now isn't paying their quarterback top dollar. They're not paying your quarterback in a top five salary. So you shouldn't have the issues across your roster in terms of overpaying a tight end way f- way more than they're worth. Um, signing a running back after you've traded for him. Now, don't get me wrong. McCoy is a great running back. He's a top five, top three running back in this league. However, you sign him to a long term deal immediately after trading for him. That is hurting your ability to go out and and, and make aggressive moves as as a team. Just the way mm-hmm. it goes. So you talk about that, and then you talk about a couple other positions that they just really overpaid, specifically Marcel Darius and Jerry Hughes, guys that there should have been a caveat. There's no, there's 100% the way that some of these contracts are written and the, the lengths, the terms, the, the money owed to some of these players just doesn't make sense when you're talking about a team that doesn't have a franchise quarterback. So it's interesting, um, but I, I completely agree with you that um, there are certain parts of how this team is built that I think was done wrong or, or done amateurly. And, you know, maybe Overdorf is part of that. Maybe he's part of the problem rather than the, um, you know, than the solution. But I like that the GM's coming in with sort of an open mind to allowing a guy like Overdorf, who's been with the organization for a long time, an opportunity to, you know, show his worth, show what he's capable of doing under new toolage, new new leadership, Um, because you don't know what Doug Whaley was asking him to do. You just don't. Um, so if, as long as you know, Brandon Bean feels comfortable with him in the role that he's currently doing, uh, I mean, I don't see why not. It's it, it, he's not to me. There's a guy like Russ Brandon who a lot of people give a lot of shit to. Um, and, I might just be naive, but I don't think he has a whole lot of hands in the football. Jar. I would say I would say he's your average, everyday, higher up. at at whatever company you want to talk about. He doesn't have a lot to do with the everyday, but when there's a big decision to be made, he's going to be consulted on it because he's been, he's got the, he's got the tenure he's got the trust of ownership. And you know, for everybody that wants to give shit to Russ Brandon, I mean, you can give shit to Russ Brandon all you want. Sure. He was a big reason why Russ Brandon or why Rex Ryan ended up ultimately being the coach last year, but he's also probably a a big reason why Doug Williams was fired. So as much as he's been around for some, from dope heads, some, some, you know, bad decisions. Um, I think he's a guy that the organization accepts and acknowledges as a good, you know, brain to run not only the business side of the organization, but make decisions if you have a big decision on hand, like choosing a head coach or searching for a general manager. He has a lot of contacts in this league. And to, to think that he wasn't going to have a hand in the search for a general manager, um, I, I think was naive and foolish to think that. He just has too many contacts in this league he's been around too long mm-hmm. and say what you will about oh he was the you know marketing guy for the marlins that's his only well, experience don't get me wrong I, I get it but he's done a hell of a job you me all of us season ticket holders who continue buying tickets every year just ensure that he's going to have a job the next season because he does such a great job of bringing
4: engaging in the fans correct. i mean he gets he puts ass exactly. in the seats so i guess the one thing i want to close with here is we talk about the, the restructuring the front office The overarching theme of all of these hires that I see, I I pick out three things experience, communication, and accountability. Now, I think if you look at the quality of the hires that the Pagoulas have made, there's a sense that they've learned something from their last few years here, their inaugural, you know, their rookie season here as owners. You know, they've made it through the first phase where they've hired and fired their first GMs, Mm -hmm. they've hired and fired their first coaches. You look at the type of people they've had to fire. And, I, I mean, it, you see a common thread that I almost think speaks to who they've hired now. GM Tim Murray. He's a meticulous guy, not afraid to gamble with draft capital and what he has in his system. Questionable with communication. And I think he kind of overplayed his hand in some senses when it came to building a roster. GM Doug Whaley. Again, d- gambled with draft capital. You know, Struggled to maintain relationships with his coaches. And most of his positive roster moves could sort of be offset by the miscues and errors he made in other places with contracts and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Then you look at Coach Dan Bielzma for the Sabres organization. Experienced coach that struggled to tailor his system to the talent of his roster and had difficulty communicating with some of his players. Coach Rex Ryan for the Buffalo Bills. Experienced coach that tried to force his system onto players that weren't suited for it. Essentially, couldn't tailor his system to the strengths of his team, and then ran a team that was undisciplined and had major communication issues. Mm-hmm. Again, you look at the from McDermott to Bean to their most recent hires. What we're seeing is that these men have a lot of similar qualities, and the fact that they're all highly regarded, you know, they're all well-regarded people, both by their franchises and their fan bases. They are both. They're all the kind of guys who seem like they can get together and work well together. Mm -hmm. But not only that, they have years of experience doing this type of thing at a high level. Like you said, success. Mm -hmm. Not just, hey, I have experience. I have experience and I have success with that experience. I feel like that is the theme of all of these hires. And, I mean, personally, what are your overall thoughts on this? Is it a positive thing and should Bills fans be excited?
3: I don't think there's any reason for any Bills fan to be discouraged about um, the hires of not only the front office, but a guy like Sean McDermott. I really love um, the new head coach. I I think this new approach where – Um, He's sort of your one voice, but I I do think it's pretty funny. I don't know if this is something you guys noticed, but obviously, being a new GM, he was going to be in front of the spotlight a little bit. He was going to do some interviews. He was going to. I don't think this whole one voice approach was because they really wanted one voice. I think it was they were terrified of Doug Whaley uh, making any more (laughs) embarrassing media remarks. Um, I, I think they had lost all trust in Whaley to go in front of a camera, go in front of a microphone. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting now seeing just how much uh, Brandon Bean is included in on uh, not only you know media outings but just you know being the voice of this team because ultimately as much as you'd love your head coach to be the voice of your team he's got a lot of responsibility on you know the day to day where the mm-hmm. general manager is really supposed to be the guy that sort of you know kind of heads the ship he's the captain of your ship he's the guy he's the guy bringing in people um, but no I, I I think with what they've done in terms of who they've brought in for um, you know, each specific scouting position and also Brandon Bean, I, I, I think that they've assembled a, a stable of really good, young-minded, progressive thinkers of the game. And, um, you know, being a guy who's pretty damn critical of the team, um, I, I feel very good with the direction in which that they're going. They're not um, they're not choosing names. They're not choosing recognition oh, no, over, they, over actual success. They they've I think they've realized I feel like that they've
4: learned their lesson from with make, Bilesma you and you make, and the, Rex sexy Ryan. You make right. the sexy pick mm-hmm. and a lot of times you pay for it. Now they're going for guys with substance, guys with. You know, resumes that can back up mm-hmm. a little bit of the bravado that they bring to the table. And and yet, they, they're humble guys. And by all accounts, they're great communicators. So I can't wait to see what these guys can produce for this team. Hopefully, they're the group that finally gets us yeah. over the hump. I, I completely agree, and I hope so, too. So as we sit here and wax poetic about you know the, the, the um, I think the great moves that were made over the course of the last week or two as far as putting together this front office and how quickly it's all kind of come together I mean these are the guys who are going to hopefully bring the bills into prosperity you know they're gonna these are if you're setting out to make a team to break a 17 year drought I feel like the Pagulas have gotten themselves at least off to a good start by surrounding themselves with this caliber of front office talent. But when we're talking about surrounding yourself with talent, that's what the NFL draft is all about. And that's what we're about to shift gears into because we have more Bills draft recap to go over. And none are bigger than our fifth round selection of Nathan Pe- Nathan Peterman, quarterback out of Pittsburgh University.
0: You are my
2: possession.
4: Now, Nate, that's one of the biggest reasons we brought you on the show tonight. My
2: only question in this is You did your Peterman work with Eric before the draft. How good does it feel that we drafted him?
3: The guy that me and him.
2: After putting in all that work.
3: Well, you know, we had heard some rumblings that there had been some connections between Peterman and the Bills. So what we wanted to do, he was really the first quarterback that there was substantial talk about uh, being connected to the Bills and and for good reason, I think he fits a lot of what Rick Dennison is trying to do offensively on the you know for this team moving forward this year as the offensive coordinator. So, you know we we looked into a little bit about what this guy was about, and um, you know after you know doing extensive research, we we came back with you know this is uh, my personal opinion. He was my eighth ranked quarterback amongst other quarterbacks. I mean the quarterback that was ranked two spots ahead of him in Gerard Evans didn't went undrafted. Um, so <laughs> did he, he sign? He did, and I don't know with who, and, and it's too bad because I, to be honest, Drod Evans for me, Virginia, Virginia Tech's quarterback. I mean, this is a young guy who I thought the Bills really should look at because I thought he, but he's a lot like Hardell Jones. Yep, not a lot of starts,
4: not a lot of experience, not a lot. of Peterman's
3: a little different than that, though.
4: Now I got some flack. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got some flack on social media, specifically on Reddit over the weekend by listeners of our show who haven't been listening very long. And claimed that it was annoying that I was being negative about our first three draft picks. I feel like that's hilarious when you consider that I'm usually on the other side of the fence when it comes to everything yeah. Bills related. But if any of them decided to come back to listen to tonight's show, you'll be pleased to know that this pick was was one that got me excited. It was one of the biggest reasons that you know I, I look at this draft and I don't see it as oh man, you know I'm, I'm all doom and gloom. Now, you look at who Nathan Peterman is. He's pro football focuses his second-rated player from the Senior Bowl. Zay Jones was number one. So you got both. Zay what? Jones was number one. Were they on the same team? Nathan Senior Peterman Bowl? was number two. They were. His highlight tape shows that he can throw with anticipation, mm-hmm. wide receivers breaking into windows, something that the Bills haven't had. In quite a while. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at what Tyrod Taylor is. He is a quarterback who needs to see it first, and then he'll throw it. Mm-hmm. I've been saying that for forever. This is a kid who can throw with anticipation, which you almost you have to be able to do at the NFL level to be a successful quarterback. He looks patient in the pocket. You, you it's hard to watch, you, hard to find a player where he gets truly flustered when he's in the pocket. He's scanning, he's scanning, he's scanning. He uses his mobility to shift around to inside the pocket, and he also has some natural speed and escapability. To get out of the pocket, roll away from pressure. I mean, his, his in fact, under pressure, Nathan Peterman is almost elite. Listen to this. Ooh. He finds a hot read very quickly. Mm-hmm. Under pressure this last season as the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh University, his QBR was 114.7, which is this draft class best under pressure QBR. Versus, you look at a guy like Deshaun Watson. You know, the Houston Texans traded up to get him in the first round. You pressure Deshaun Watson, his QBR is 87.6. And the draft class as a whole, the average is 66.9. Do you know what makes some of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play football great? The fact that when you send a blitz in their face, they don't panic. They find an open receiver and get the ball out. What does Tom Brady do to the Bills every time we try to? Every time we try, we think we have a blitz scheme that, oh, we're going to get Tom Brady. We're going to put him on his ass. He just gets the ball out. Yeah. This kid seems – I can see why people make that comparison, the Tom Brady comparison. Mm-hmm. He gets the ball out quickly and accurately, and he reads the whole field very quickly.
3: Here's what I'll tell you. Um, I mean, when I look at Peterman, he, to me, kind of projects as a career backup, a guy that can come in – um, and not be a step off of who your starter is, and really no yep. matter who your starter is. Um, when you look at some advanced statistics, and this was something that I looked at pretty in depthly, um, was his accuracy on balls from at, at, at the line of scrimmage from 1 to 5, 6 to 10, 11 to 15, 16 to 20, 21 to 25, and 25 plus. Okay. And none of these categories does Peterman lead amongst the top 10 quarterbacks. Listed on Optimum Scouting's 2017 NFL Draft Guide, which I used pretty adamantly throughout my, um, you know, evaluation of a lot of these quarterbacks, um, where Peterman was really successful, and that was at the at balls at the line of scrimmage. Now people will say, well, he, this is a quarterback that only throws balls at the line of scrimmage. Well, won't you if that's the case? Don't you want a quarterback who is extremely successful at those? He isn't throwing them at receivers' feet. He isn't throwing it yep. over their head. He had one in completion all season at balls thrown at the line of scrimmage. So you know that if he is going to be what he's asked to do, he was able to do well. He was able to execute well. So in that, he was 31 of 32 at balls at the line of scrimmage. From one to five yards, 82% completion percentage, he was 43 of 52. Now this is the area where I'm a little bit worried about. And 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 you mentioned is the the anticipatory the anticipatory throws really kind of from the the five to fifteen yard range. Those are your intermediate routes. Mm-hmm. Um, Peterman ranked at fifty six percent completion percentage at, at balls six to ten yards. Twenty eight of fifty. And from 11 to 15, 26 of 57 or 45, a little over 45%. Um, so those intermediate throws are still a little bit lower than where I'd like them to be. Um, so this is a quarterback that mm-hmm. necessarily was asked to throw a ton in that intermediate section, um, but struggled And in, in when he did throw there. And then we were talking about 16 to 20 yards. This is a guy who's throwing 65% and 21 to 25, 58%. However, when start when the ball is traveling 25 yards plus in the air, he only has 15 um, attempts, which is actually the lowest amongst all of the quarterbacks. So he wasn't mm-hmm. asked to
4: air the ball out by any means. He wasn't, but now here's where, and this is where I think that sometimes these advanced statistics, they, they confuse the hell out of me because mm-hmm. here you are, you're giving me all these statistics that says that this guy can't, he doesn't sound like an accurate quarterback and he doesn't sound like he can throw a good deep ball at all, right? It doesn't sound like he throws for many air yards. Mm-hmm. Now I look at the numbers and I say, okay, According to nfl.com, Nathan Peterman completed 46% of all deep passes. That's 25 yards or more, 46% of them. And according to Pro Football Focus, he averaged 9.6 yards per attempt, which was the 7th in all of NCAA football. So, what is it then? You're telling me right. that he he's not <laughs> You're telling me that he's not accurate? Or that his accuracy
1: struggles. At I would some say levels.
3: I would say maybe what I'm saying is his proficiency in throws. Um and 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 you know this maybe give you a better idea. And and when they're talking about the best of each area, so um, optimum Scouting breaks it down into four categories: left outside, left middle, right middle, right outside, mm-hmm. as being the four categories of who the best in each area is. And then you go into the yardage of one to five, six to ten, eleven to fifteen. So you're wanting to know where does Peterman come in as the best of where, where is he the best? And what optimum scouting comes up with is that one to five area in the right middle in that one to five area in the right outside. You don't see him really show up anywhere else other than the left middle at 16 to 20 yards. So then what you have to ask yourself is where is his, where's the bulk of his success? And it's really at balls, the line of scrimmage. So, and this is something that I noticed when I was really diving into him, especially his senior year at Pittsburgh, is a good majority of the balls that he threw downfield or the good majority of his plays ended up happening right at the line of scrimmage on these little, um, I guess what you would call... Uh, shovel passes, which were to James Conner at the line of scrimmage where he was almost running a triple option and had the opportunity to run, pitch to his running back who was coming out to the outside of him, or pitch to a tight end or running back that was coming underneath, which is technically considered a forward pass. So a lot of his passing statistics his senior year were convoluted a little bit because a lot of the yardage, the yards after catch, the touchdowns came on shovel passes, which is really just a pitch three or four yards up the, up the field. So Difficult to really, I guess, evaluate. If you're looking at quarterbacks by the numbers, you're going to look at Peterman. You're going to be a little bit unimpressed. This isn't a guy that had four thousand yards as a senior. A guy that you know passed for thirty touchdowns. This isn't. That's that's not the guy for you. But what Peterman was is he was extremely efficient in what he was asked to do. And, and I think that's what you ultimately have to judge a guy on is what were they asked to do? How did they carry out that task? And ultimately, their success rate. What was their success rate? So he was asked mm-hmm. to throw the ball short at or around the line of scrimmage. Did he do it successfully? Absolutely he did. So for me, when you're talking about a quarterback, you can't say, oh, well, he was only 6 of 20 on balls of 25-plus yards. Well, he threw the ball 20 times 25-plus yards. Yep. Where are the majority of his throws? Where does his rate – on the majority of his throws come while they're at or around the line of scrimmage. Was he successful doing that? Yes he was. Now you talk about the intangibles, the size, the strength, the ability to move around in the pocket, the ability yep. the ability to maneuver with inside the confines of the pocket, and most importantly, his ability, his leadership ability. But I think the most important thing, and you mentioned earlier, is his the anticipation that he uses. Um, I think it's one of the most underrated parts of any quarterback analysis. When you're looking at a quarterback, how does he throw the ball when a guy isn't looking? Yep. When is he releasing the ball? Is it after his receiver has made the turn or made a break for the ball? Or is that ball out because he knows where he's going and yep. why he's going there? And I think those are two important things because when you're evaluating a quarterback, there's a, I guess the idea that where he's throwing the ball is important. It's absolutely an important reason as to, hey, why is this quarterback throwing the ball here? But I think what's more important or why, you know what I'm saying, is the why. Why is he throwing to a specific spot? Well, that's because the defense tells you on a cover two that a shallow dig route will be open in between the numbers at five to ten yards. Mm -hmm. So where do you want that ball thrown? You want that ball thrown before he makes his break to beat that defender. So in theory... You're looking or hearing from a guy that really was successful in those anticipatory throws, which I think, when you look at some of the best quarterbacks in this league, Tom Brady, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, um, these are guys that are throwing the ball with confidence, but they're throwing the ball before their receivers make their breaks, and it's because they know the offense, they know how to be, how their offense beats elite defenses, and how you beat elite defenses is with timing. Is there a certain plays, there are certain routes, there are certain balls that can't be defended in this league. Ultimately, when you're evaluating a quarterback, what you want from him is the ability to know why their offense is doing what it's doing because of what the defense is showing. And when you're talking about back shoulder throws, find on film for me, more than a handful of instances this team even Ran
4: back shoulder throws. They didn't. Well, they don't. I'll tell you why. And this kind of leads into why this is one of my favorite draft picks of this class. You're talking about a you're a team that has a quarterback who's highly athletic, and he has a, he has an arm. He's shown he can uncork it. He can throw the ball down the field. He can do Tyrod Taylor can do a lot of good things for you. One of the things he will never do for you is throw with anticipation. He is a see it then throw it quarterback maybe he'll grow into that role this season and he'll prove me wrong, but I don't feel confident in that. Right. I honestly believe he. you see a lot of his passes. He doesn't see wide-open receivers mm-hmm. running down the field. He misses a lot. Every game you can go back and watch film and see guys running open somewhere in the field. During that Baltimore game that we lost because we only scored one touchdown, The Robert Woods wide open beat the safeties. The safeties both sank. Mm-hmm. He's wide open and Tyrod Taylor just decides to run. You need a quarterback who can scan the field efficiently, effectively, and can throw before a guy needs to get to the break. That's what you need in order to make a West Coast offense work. Mm-hmm. That's why I have fear for where we're going to go this season. I like this pick because, like you said, even if he is only a career backup. Teams are in need He of gives you He gives you that guy that you can go to, a Frank Reich type, a guy that hey, I can execute inside of this offense, and I'm not gonna. I, I may not be as good as Jim Kelly, but I'm not gonna be Billy Joe Hobart. I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Now, when I look at this, I have a couple thoughts before I give my grade. You look at what John Gruden said about him, and I know a lot of people are gonna pan. Oh, John Gruden blows everybody. John mm. Gruden loves every quarterback he sees. The thing I the the comments that I picked out about him. In an interview with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, John Gruden says, he was asked the question, which quarterback out of this entire class would you be comfortable with rolling out right now? If you were to take the sideline as a head coach, who would you pick? He said, I would take the kid from Pitt. Why? He'd allow us to do just about anything in the game plan. I think he throws the ball pretty darn good. He's athletic and very, very sharp. I think he's a lot like Andy Dalton to me. Hmm. He reminds that's me of Nate Dalton comp. so much coming out of TCU. I'd probably go with Peterman if I had to play with him in a few months.
3: I'd say, comp out-wise, he's a Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton. I and, absolutely agree with that. And
4: so, to that point, the fact that we got him in the fifth round, when I everything I read said he was a third-round, no fourth-round prospect, no that's question. a steal. I give people, it an A.
3: Some people talked about a second-round grade on Nate Peterman. I'm going to tell you a couple of statistics that do worry me a little bit. Um, and you know, these are coming from his senior year. They're not necessarily a trend, Mm -hmm. um, but there's certainly something to pay attention to accuracy and accuracy percentage in the fourth quarter, 50%, 36 of 72 in the fourth quarter. Um, so when his team is trailing or behind or however you want to put it in the fourth quarter, he's at 50% completion percentage His explosive pass percentage. So these are plays, um, that either lead to touchdowns or large plays, which is just about anything above 25, um, plus yards. 9.72%, or 7 of 72, um, which is the second lowest amongst qualifying quarterbacks in the draft. Loss of yards slash turnover percentage, 4.17%, or in this case, sort of middle of the pack when you're talking about guys. So yes, I agree with you that Nate Peterman has shown an ability to be ready to play or be ready to be thrown at whatever is going to be thrown at him at the NFL level. I guess my biggest worry is, is this just another? And and, and I think when you're talking about Bill's quarterbacks and you're talking about who needs to ultimately be the guy that runs this organization from the quarterback position, it's someone that can be leaned upon in crunch time to make – maybe not Mm – here's what it is. And I think maybe too much is made about the guy who can make the play opposed to a guy that won't make – a specific play inside the fourth quarter—the the mistake, the interception, the fumble—and mm-hmm. um, you saw last year in only one instance we were—we had been waiting for Tyrod Taylor to sort of, you know, have his coming up party in the fourth quarter. Well, that game was the Miami Dolphins; they ultimately yep. end up losing in the because of our final.
4: defense. Our defense folded. Tyrod he Taylor showed, should have—he showed what you needed to yep. be as a quarterback to mm-hmm. win that game, which is the one thing that gives me kind of some confidence going some hope into the season. Yeah. Now. The reason I like this Peterman pick so much and the reason why I gave it an a, a draft grade, the highest grade out of any pick in this class, is because I look at it and I say, what did, what, what would EJ Manuel give me as a backup? What would Cardale Jones give me as a backup? Mm-hmm. It sounds an awful lot like Nate Peterman could probably beat them both out for that job if he had a full training camp under his belt. Nate, do do you, there's
3: no question. How
2: do you see that playing out in August? Because we're not going to carry four quarterbacks. No, I mean, Tyrod Ty Cardale, Nate Peterman, and TJ Yates. Who's the
3: one that gets cut? A lot of people are going to say it's going to be Cardell Jones that gets cut. Um, because TJ Yates is a guy that if your quarterback goes down, he's won a playoff game. Um, he's a guy that has NFL starting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you're talking about taking the three best players, now I don't know if the decision is... Do we take the best three players at the position? Because I think ultimately that decision comes down to then Peterman and Cardell with Tyrod. I think those are the three most talented players at the position. However, experience, experience plays a role a lot. It certainly plays a role. However, I even though I think a lot of people are down on Cardell because the you know the former um, you know pro personnel department is the guy that drafted are the people that drafted Cardell. However, I think when you're talking about raw talent, Cardell still has probably the best raw talent on this team. It's about coaching. And ultimately, I still think that Cardell has the tools to be the ace starting quarterback in this, in this league, whether wow, it's with the Bills. that's a bold
4: statement. Listen,
3: I, I think when you're talking about arm strength, ho, ho, ho. you're talking about arm strength, athleticism, and the ability to throw balls where other players can't. When you're talking about a handful of players that can make throws, you're talking about I would say about 15% of starting quarterbacks can make the throws that Cardo Jones makes.
4: I hate to be the guy who tries to say, hey, I got the last word, but I'm the host of the show and I'm going to yeah, do what I it's want. Absolutely your I, uh, <laughs> I know another guy who could throw a ball through the his name was Russell from his knees, and his name was Kyle Bowler. How great was Kyle Bowler in the NFL? True. yeah. So arm strength, you have all the arm strength Correct. in the world. You're, you don't.
3: I think, I think what you have to do is when you go back and you watch that Indianapolis Colts preseason game, you see a handful of throws that make you sit back and you say, wow, that is not only a throw that you need your starter to make, but it's a throw in the fourth quarter when they're down, they're driving, and specifically get, the yeah. throw to Walt Powell where he ends up taking it. They could have forced it.
4: overtime by kicking the field goal. They could Instead, have, but they went, but for, they went for the win.
3: The throw to Walt Powell and the throw to I believe it was Walt Powell or Brandon Tate on the sidelines. There are two throws that continue to stick out to me, and you can go on any you know Cardell Jones or or Buffalo Bills preseason highlight film, and you're going to see those two plays because they stuck out to me as wow plays, plays that not a lot of guys can make. And even though you 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 know Cardell Jones leaves a little bit to be desired in the consistency portion, what you love to see are plays that not many players can make. That's Cardell Jones. He can make plays that a lot of quarterbacks in this league cannot make, but can he do it consistently? And I think that's the biggest issue, not only for him and his professional prospects moving forward, but for this organization to decide, listen, is this a guy we're going to give a legitimate opportunity to some point win this job? Because if it's not, if you look at Cardell Jones, is yes, he has the potential,
4: but but I feel like they wouldn't have drafted Nathan Peterman if, maybe they not, fought, but, if they were comfortable. But you know what the thing is? If they were comfortable, they would not have drafted Maybe you're Nathan right, Peters. but
3: you know what? Maybe it came down to your board where Nathan Peterman was available in the fifth round and you had a third round grade on him and there was no way you could pass on Nathan Peterman. And I think that has a lot to do with why the Bills took him. Is He was available in the fifth round to them. I think they let him pass by him, let them pass by the team in the fourth round thinking... Okay, well, if this guy's on the fifth round, there's no way we can let him pass by right now. But the fourth round, they didn't have that pick. So they had that no. they had that fifth round pick, they and they said, wait. you know what?
4: They're like The kid's still on the board. He's still on the board.
3: We have a third round grade on him. We would be doing ourselves a disservice by not taking a guy Stick like this. Stick to us. the board. Take Stick the best the player board.
4: available, and it happens to be the quarterback. Now, you just primed it up for us because this is going to be one of the best, best camp battles to watch this year. You know, last year it was at a couple different positions. Whether it was you know, last year it was wide receiver to see who else was going to flesh out the death death chart. Right now, there is a real battle going on on this roster as far as quarterback is concerned. Because, like Chris said, I do not see a universe in which they keep right. they keep four. It's
3: a tough. Yeah, no, we're about. we're not the Jets. However, we're not they, the Jets. They might think about it now. Boo. Maybe listen to this. Maybe <laughs> you interchange a third kicker the fourth quarterback a third kicker with a fourth. with because i mean they had three kickers on the roster last year
4: at this point hopefully no coach in the nfl is dumb enough to keep three kickers except around. for the bills that. so yeah. at the end of the day what do you give the grade of the draft pick in the fifth round nathan Paterman?
3: fifth round i it's difficult for me to move away from the a spot i'm gonna all give right, him an a minus five i'm gonna give him an a minus and i'm gonna tell you this because i had a third or fourth round grade on him um, the fact that he fell to them in the fifth round and could potentially help them down the road as a long-term backup option—if that's all Peterman is—you spending a fifth-round pick on him is tremendous value. Oh, I mean, you talk about found money. You talk about the one draft that always will stick out to me is the RG3 Andrew Luck draft, where RG3 is taken second overall, and Washington takes Kirk Cousins later in that fifth yep. round. And you look back and you say, "Well, why the hell did they take Kirk Cousins if they had taken a quarterback in the second round?" Well, look. Kirk Cousins one, guy's starter, league, one guy's out of the and league, and it's not the fifth-round pick.
4: Man, guys, all this draft talk. We're going to move on to our, as we do every week, AFC East Roundup. We are going to talk about the Patriots draft recap.
0: People call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a whole city of people saying most words wrong.
5: <laughs> Dante Skarniecki is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, Christian Simonelli in the house. How are you doing, brother? We haven't we haven't heard from you in a while.
5: I was doing pretty good until that intro. I didn't realize how thick my accent was. <laughs>
4: working miracles with that kid. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. So That's great. So, Christian, I'll admit that uh, it was a little hard for me to talk to you after the Super Bowl because, uh, you know... You know, you know why I, I just I, I couldn't bring it to <laughs> couldn't bring what myself happened? to. I couldn't. The bring Patriots my, are up twenty eight to
3: three, right? Is that what it was? I, I forgot. Yeah. Drew, you, uh, uh, no.
4: D- no I, well, what happened was that I ended up passing out on my uh, the basement floor down on my wet bar. <laughs> I ended up just passing out down. After you want to know why
3: I was a wet bar? Because he wet his pants. I took
4: my shirt <laughs> off, yelled at my girlfriend, woke up on the basement floor. Was like, wow, that was the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> that so, was uh, understandable. So for our li- for our new listeners who don't know who Christian Simonelli is, he is a diehard Patriots fan, and he is a you know a I don't know if you guys know the PFW in progress show. He is a routine caller. You know he's the occasional I guess you've guest hosted Christian. But yeah,
5: once. Yeah, uh, actually twice. But yeah,
4: twice. So he's very familiar with the inner workings of the Patriots. He's talked on the radio before. People seem to respect his opinion, even though he. Says it with a thick accent. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christian, the Patriots have had a busy offseason. I mean, since the last time we talked to you about anything, your front office. I mean, look at the moves. You've, you've signed Stefan Gilmore in free agency, you jackass. <laughs> yep. Inked mm. Mark, Mike Gilliesley <laughs> to a two-year deal in free agency. You re-signed Donta Hightower, Allen Branch, and Ronnie Harmon, you know, key members of your team. Then you traded for defensive lineman Coney Ealy, tight end Dwayne Allen, and wide receiver Brandon Cooks, who was arguably one of the most explosive weapons on the New Orleans Saints team. And I would say probably the best wide receiver that Tom Brady has played with since you guys had Randy Moss.
5: I would agree with that. Sure. Yeah, they've been very busy, Um, you know. Patriots had their draft in March, apparently, uh, based on based on the moves, and certainly with uh, only four picks, not having a pick till the third round this year. Um, I love the aggressiveness; I always have. Uh, I always have loved the aggressiveness that this team does not rest on their laurels. That even though they won the Super Bowl, they were down twenty eight to three, <laughs> and they were really getting it taken to them by the Falcons. I mean, the Falcon speed was was incredible in that game, and uh, I just think that Bill looked at the roster and said. You know, we just got to get better at, at these positions, and, and he upgraded. Gilmore was by far the biggest surprise to me. No were, one saw that. Were one. you more happy with free agency or the draft? Oh, free agency by far. I mean, you got playmakers. You got you know established Pro Bowl players uh, on this team, and you get Cooks. You get Gilmore. Uh, you trade for Ely, and a lot of people – you know, I hesitant to say, well, wait a minute, you know, you only get them for, you know, they're really not under your control uh, as far as Cooks and Ely go for like the next year or two. But um, if they're really good, they'll find a way to keep them. And, you know, Cooks is the most intriguing to me, I think, because they exercised his 5th year option. And in two years, you have no idea what the wide receiver core is going to look like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very well Amidola and Edelman probably aren't going to be here by then. I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't think they'll last. Um, so you know, was Hogan and Mitchell and with Cooks are they going to be your starters? Who knows. Um, but Hogan's contract is actually also up in, in, in two years because he signed a three-year deal. So it's interesting. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting. But I love the moves they made at free agency. Yeah.
3: So Christian, I guess my question is: Are you worried about the land? So when you think about the moves that were made, I mean, you're you, they've traded for and instead of taking you know younger players who are un sort of you know there's no success behind them saying that they're gonna be successful NFL players so instead what they did is they traded those you know those picks for players how concerned are you I guess my question is that these moves are in such a win-now mode because Tom Brady maybe has one maybe two years left I mean how how much longer does Tom Brady really have does this maybe send a, a, a message to Patriots fans that they're maybe going for it in the next this year or next year because they've maybe heard from Tom Brady that he might be done sooner rather than later?
5: Well, um, if, if Garoppolo wasn't on the team, I would say no, but I'm going to say yes to your question because they held on to Jimmy, and they held on to Jimmy for one reason and one reason only. They apparently love him. Bill apparently loves him. And there were offers there this off season. I'm sure not from Cle- not just from Cleveland, but from other teams. Mm-hmm. Even though nothing was reported, and they didn't move them. And in a year that in a draft where you know it was that was essentially star for talent at the quarterback position, this was the year to do it, and they didn't. So that tells me that Bill is going to make a very difficult decision. And I think ultimately, as he's done historically in the past, even though it's Brady and Brady's going to make it very hard for him to make that decision. I think Bill looks at it as, well, Brady, maybe you do have another two or three years left, but I think Jimmy's got 10.
4: Now, here's the thing I found interesting. They talked to Tom Brady, and he said in a recent interview that he he seemed to almost acknowledge that fact, though. He says, hey, I understand that the best players, at the end of the day, the best player plays. Yep. Almost, And he made some more comments along that same line that almost make it sound like, he would be willing to stay on the Patriots roster as a backup rather than leave to go to some other franchise and try to win. You know what I mean? Like a Matt Castle type thing where he goes somewhere else and tries to win or a Joe Montana type thing where he, okay, I'm going to leave or I'm going to force the team to trade me because they have somebody younger. You know, Steve, I think the Joe Montana comparison is probably the best one. They had Steve Young in the wings, and they said, hey, we've got this guy who we know can be good. We can offload him for some capital, and that team can still be, you know, he's still got enough left in the tank to make somebody competitive for a year or two. Like Brett Favre when he signed with the Vikings. You know, what did he give him? One good year? That's it, But that one good year got him to the NFC title game. Yeah. So some team out there would love to start Tom Brady. But he made it sound an awful lot like he'd be willing to take a back seat if that's what it took in order to remain a Patriot. I just know that that's been the Patriots' bread and butter, and I almost think it would be the most delicious thing to watch them trade Tom Brady away to somebody for capital. It would be the most Billiecheckian thing to do.
5: Yeah, and I can't see Brady on the bench. I just, I think it wouldn't be, it wouldn't work. I don't see Tom ever resigning himself to that role. I think it'd be awful for Jimmy. Because as soon as Jimmy throws a pick, yep. it just would never happen. I mean, it'll, it'll never happen. Bill would would wouldn't do that because he knows how detrimental that would be to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, just like in two thousand eight, when he hurt his knee, how many players do you always see that are hurt or an injury reserve on the sideline? Brady wasn't even anywhere near the stadium that year. Why? Because if Castle was on the field and threw a pick, they couldn't do a live shot into the booth around on the sideline <laughs> and show Brady's face. I'm dead serious. Like that. That's. That's how Belichick runs that ship. And, you know, that's, in my opinion, because he's won so much, I, I defer to him. But there's no way I could see Brady taking a backseat or put, playing that backup role. He's just got too big of a chip on his shoulder this is headed for two just major personality figures butting heads i think bill steadfast and the moves that he's made you know whether it's been acquiring players releasing players trading players and still being successful a la trading jamie collins in the middle of the season last year and yep. the defense actually getting better and then brady saying screw that what are you kidding me like it, 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 i'm not taking a backseat like there's no way you know i'm i a, look where i can you know i was a six-round draft pick and i had to earn and that's his, his he always says i have to earn I have to earn he'll say trade him trade me in a second but the wild card in this whole thing is the owner and is robert Kraft and yep. his relationship with tom for all intents and purposes for everything that we see it's super super tight so at the end of the day Bella check's an employee
4: yeah it's gonna be the power so, struggle in your building is about yep. to get real you guys are heading yep. it's 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 a ways off it's it's on yep. the horizon though there's going to come a day of reckoning in Foxborough, and I, as a Bills fan, can't wait to, can't oh, wait to get some I popcorn mean, and watch it.
5: Oh, you guys must be relishing it. Are <laughs> you kidding me? It's a, You can finally see an end in sight. I can
4: see the loving. end of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel. It's coming. I don't so, blame you. So now, with all of the draft capital you guys shed making these trades, you had a pretty boring draft. Now, yep. I, I guess I've got questions for you on two of your prospects and about the class as a whole. The first one is defensive end Derek Rivers out of Youngstown State. You took him in the third round. He's not a household name, but, I mean, the Bills, I did some research on him because the Bills brought him in for a pre-draft, you know, pre-draft interview. Yep. And at least kicked the tires on a lot of pass rushers during this draft. I, I think he could eventually become a very solid player for you guys. I mean, I'll I'll say the things I like about him is the fact that he seems like a Jamie Collins. He can play on the line of scrimmage or he can play off the ball inside linebacker, much in the same way Jamie Collins did. And his play speed, I mean, he plays on the edge of a defense. He has the ability to play in space. He's got gap awareness. But he he recognizes plays. That's going to be important because you guys draft players who are versatile. And if he can't flash that, you wouldn't have taken him.
5: Yeah, I really see him this year as more of a project than anything, and I think that if they get anything out of him, it's a bonus. I really do. I mean, I, you know, you you watch certainly. You know, I've seen the highlights on YouTube, and you know, read the scouting reports, and um, I think this is definitely a pick that is eyed towards 2018 rather than this upcoming season. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that even though they've lost um, Sheard and Long, and Nikovich is certainly getting up there. You know, I think that they have enough with Trey Flowers. I think they have enough with Coney Ealy. I think they have enough with Lawrence Guy, who they signed, that they'll be able to sort of mix and match up front. In addition, maybe Hightower sees a little bit more time on the line like he did in the Super Bowl to get some extra pressure. Mm -hmm. But I like the kid because he is versatile, and that is. That's a typical Bill Belichick pick. Small town school, versatile player, a player that arguably probably could have went in the second round, you got in the third, the whole value tag attached to it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, typical Patriots pick.
4: I mean, I'll be honest. The only things I didn't like about him was that his technique and his field awareness. I mean, watching his tape, he looked like – the thing I kept thinking in my head is that he looks like a just-past-his-prime Aaron Schobel. (laughs) <laughs> no, because most of his sacks and his pressures are really just come from the fact that he doesn't stop working. He doesn't stop working to get off blocks. So if yeah. you give him enough time, he'll eventually get home, and he'll eventually you know pressure the passer, or he'll eventually fight his way in the backfield. But one of the big things I noticed again about him is that he lowers his head after you block him. You know, he launches himself into his blocker so with his head down, he wants to defeat that block. So what ends up happening is he gets so disoriented, running backs run right past him. You know, he finally gets off yep. his man, and the running back is a yard and a half upfield already.
5: Yeah, he does that in the NFL, and he's going to have a short career. Exactly. Uh, I, I can guarantee you they'll correct that.
4: <laughs> so if you had to grade the pick, what would you give it? A, B, C, D?
5: You know, I'd give it a B. I just I, I think it's a solid B pick for him.
4: And then the other pick that really intrigued me for you guys Antonio Garcia in the fourth round. Now, now this was a weak draft class for the offensive line. Part of the reason I was mad about the Dawkins pick for the Buffalo Bills. But last week we talked it over with the guy who does a lot of draft research and statistical stuff, and it made me feel a little bit better about it. I didn't bother scouting all. I really didn't bother doing any of my own scouting. But when I read up about Garcia after the draft, I can see why you guys liked him enough to move up for him in the fourth round. He's an aggressive blocker, and he shows a fantastic ability to mirror when it comes to when it comes to just his ability in the pass protection game to mirror against pass rushers. I mean, that's yep. that combined with his size is incredible. What is he? Six foot five, and he's got like a thirty. Oh, what did they say? It was like a sixty-eight inch wingspan. Yeah, it's pr- something like that. Yeah, some, some kind of freakish wingspan, look, that wingspan that he. He just gets in people's ways, and so yep. with now we heard it in your intro, Dante Scarnacchia. For as long as that guy stays around, the fact that he was able to work miracles with Marcus Cannon, what do you think he can do with this kid?
5: Well, I think at first he's probably gonna he's probably going to challenge Fleming for the backup swing tackle role, Cameron Fleming. And you know, certainly right now, I would think that. Ideally, starting the season, he'd be third in the depth chart behind Solder and Cannon. Um, I think it's another pick geared towards 2018 in that Solder's contract is up at the end of the year. And not sure what they're going to do with him. Um, I don't see him getting a big money deal. Um, he's certainly a player that potentially could stay for a, you know, a team-friendly a team deal. But you know, there's some wild card there. And I think you know, the guys that mentioned this on PFW in Progress about his kid being sick – and his kid has been battling cancer, so I kind of don't know how that all sort of factors into maybe his line of thinking. I mean, he's won two Super Bowls, you know, he did get a second contract with the team, so I'm not sure what the thought process is there. But I think it's a pick that again, that's tied really towards the future.
4: So you think that they they basically took their draft and just punted? towards next year they were like listen we're we're gonna pick guys that have future consideration for starting positions or maybe to challenge for starting jobs but they didn't really try to reach for any impact players this coming season
5: yeah I mean you know the same thing with t-shirt wise and then the kid McDermott it, it, the other you know the other tackle that they took I just think it's all just sort of geared towards really depth and and really in future pieces um I definitely think they punted. That's a really good word. I definitely think that they punted on the draft. Like I said, they had their draft in March.
4: So then I guess I just got to ask one final question. What do you give for an overall draft grade for all of the Patriots selections this year as far as what they did in the draft?
5: Well, if it's just for this year and, and if you're grading for this year, like, and I'm not projecting towards the future, I'd give them a C because I don't see any of these guys coming in and starting and giving you meaningful time. I just don't. Um, hopefully I'm wrong with – Um, You know, maybe with Rivers, but I just, I'd give it a C. I mean, it's definitely a projection draft. You know, when you have a draft, typically you want to get at least maybe one starter out of it, or one guy that's going to give you meaningful, you know, meaningful snaps. Um, Like 2012, they drafted Chandler Jones and Donta Hightower in the first round. Those guys came in and started from day one. I mean, that ended up being the nucleus of rebuilding a defense. Um, So I'd I'd give it a C. I really would.
4: Man, you're hard on your boys.
5: Yeah, I mean like you said they punted. And I, I can't include I can't include what they did at March as part of the draft grade. You know, around here everybody's giving them an A. That's a joke. It's you no know, it's like it's, No, you didn't draft Brandon Cooks and Coney Ealy. You traded for those plays. You can't count those as draft picks.
4: Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you're willing to be reasonable, Christian. And that's, oh, yeah, and that's why know. we love you over here in Bills Country. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find you on Twitter? You can find me at Chris with the that's Chris with the T I A N on Twitter.
5: And I, and I promise I'll respond back to you and just read my reply in a thick Boston accent. <laughs> Even,
3: and you'll understand
4: better. Christian, yes. thank you so much for coming on the show this night. We appreciate it.
5: Guys, thanks for having me. Love the show. Keep up the great work.
4: Guys, thanks so much for showing up for our show tonight. We have to get out of here. Before we go, I just want to give a couple plugs. First and foremost... For those of you out there who don't know, this is your reminder. It is National Chris Greg Awareness Month. Wow. Now, I am tweeting at basically every franchise that is a dog shit tight end depth chart to remind them that Chris Gregg still doesn't have a job heading into training camp. He's actually reacted a, to
2: us on which Twitter. Which is a
4: travesty because the guy was playing some of the best football of his career right up until a dirty hit took him out. Definitely a dirty hit. I Go be- fuck yourself, D'Angelo I, Hall. I firmly believe that the guy needs a second chance just to prove that that wasn't a fluke and that he actually has the ability to play a solid, tight end, a solid second tight end role on any team in the NFL. There's a number of teams out there, the Jets, the Browns, the, uh, the Panthers, obviously the Bills, that I think could use his talents. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my part and take to Twitter and social media and make sure that they don't forget about him for the next, I don't know, 17 days. There's a certain I would th- hope that you all out there will join me in this effort. There's a couple
3: of teams that uh, would enjoy the possession.
4: The possession
3: of, uh, of Chris, Chris Craig. Craig. Yeah.
4: Now, as far as everything else goes, guys, you can follow Nate at Nate Geary, WGR, on Twitter. You can actually check out his article on Nathan Peterman at www.cover1.net. We're going to put a link to it in the show's description. Cover one dot net. Obviously, you guys all know what it is. We talk about it nonstop because he covers all the shit that I don't have the time to. I don't mm-hmm. have the I don't have the aptitude to do all the acts of the way he does. Uh, and, and Nate here is single, I'm so single, he's got nothing but time. I've
3: got nothing but time. Are you doing <laughs> are you doing sports talk Saturday? I am this Saturday. There you go. I'll be there. Fantastic. I'll be sports.
4: And, and what's the number if they wanted to call in? 8030550. Wait, wait. I got the
3: 1 800 number. It's 1 888 552 550. Those are the
4: numbers. Those are the numbers, folks. If anybody here that. wants to call in, talk a little Buffalo sports, their boy Nate Geary. And if you want to follow Christian, as we said, at C H R I S W I T H A, Chris You butchered that. It's
2: at Chris with a T I A N on Twitter.
4: And, folks, Man, I just appreciate all of the love we've been getting recently. Mostly because of my Botrell jersey. (laughs) Jesus Christ. It's very true. Folks, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the podcast. We got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And I'm Ashley Schaefer.
3: No, (laughs) I am Nate
4: Geary. That's Nate Geary. (laughs) And this has been the Rockpile Report.
3: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always
0: go on.